With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. It's Wednesday morning, which means another legal hub. Katie Ashby Coppins is in the legal hub chair this morning to talk cases. Katie, good to have you back. Thank you so much, Paul, and so lovely to be with everyone this morning. Okay, quite a bit to get our heads around. We had uh, on this program a couple of days ago, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Roger Earp, retired, and Army Chaplain Major Paul Stanaway, former. Um, They have been, um, I guess, out in front of the team of people leading, looking after that large group of NZDF sailors, soldiers, airmen, civilians who were affected by the vaccine mandates and defence. They got that decision two years ago was appealed, and now, a week or so ago, they kind of won. So let's talk about that first. Yeah, well, look, I think this is just those um, dreaded mandates carrying on. And uh, just for the listeners, um, not to rehash old ground, but just to silo your thoughts, the first um, case was about the WorkSafe Minister's vaccination order, that vaccination order was different. This is the Ardley case. That vaccination order was different to the vaccination order that was applied to health, um, teachers, prisons, uh, and the like. So that Yardley decision was felt, uh, found by Justice Cook, um, or that that order was found by Justice Cook to be um, unlawful, and uh, in response the Defence Force um, decided to create its own mandate under its employment policy. Uh, So in doing that, it needed to ensure that it complied with WorkSafe requirements, undertook a risk-benefit assessment and done it in accordance with, you know, employment law concepts but within the Defence Force. Uh, And they've now had that uh, vaccine requirement for, what, an extra two years on. Uh, You've got to be vaccinated for COVID and boosted, uh, as well as all of the other um, vaccines. And uh, the judicial review was of the Defence Force decision. The uh, They've already had one go in the High Court, and then this got appealed to the Court of Appeal. And the Court of Appeal found that uh, there was no justification in the evidence uh, that was given by the Defence Force that the vaccination uh, for COVID was still necessary. There was some significant comments throughout the uh, decision, which I pray will be telling on or, or informative for the Defence Force uh, in reconsidering whether or not their requirement to vaccinate for COVID-19 is still necessary. Okay. Um, what, is it, what does it mean? What does it actually mean for the bigger picture? Well, there's a couple of ways it could go. Uh, the Defence Force, I think, have had a couple of messages now which, you know, perhaps the, the uh, vaccination requirement is no longer justified, uh, but they could turn around and uh, endeavour to make some compelling requirements as to why uh, vaccination for COVID-19 is still um, uh, necessary. The trouble that they might have is that they'll have to deal with the fact that the boosters aren't for the current um, 
version of COVID that's floating around. Uh, and it's clearly been pretty ineffective since I'm pretty sure everyone's had COVID once and, and if lucky twice. Uh, so it's really going to be something that they're going to have to justify. But we have been through the last crazy three years where they've been able to justify uh, things on a lot less. I do think, though, that uh, they would be um, misguided to insist on this uh, when you put down the timing, the facts, where we're at now. Uh, but also, I think very encouragingly, uh, which was the comments that uh, the Defence Force uh, gentleman was mentioning on Monday, I think, when you spoke to yeah, them. Yeah, it was Monday, yeah. Uh, how um, there's a change, there's going to be some change in hierarchy and things yeah. this year. Uh, so, look, let's hope sense prevails. This is people that will probably be holding on to the decisions that they made at the time when they were there. Uh, but quite frankly, it is a case of moving on. But I, I would be, uh, I'd just be cautious. Um I could. I would just be cautious because there's certainly a lot of organisations that are still insisting on on, on vaccination, uh, and you know we need to. We're working through that. I think I get a person into the inbox once a uh, once a week asking what they can do, um, and because there are still these uh, vaccination requirements. Yeah. So does this send a message to the wider world here, anyway, that? Um... You know what I mean? It's a high-profile case. It's a pretty clear decision that a lot of people have been mucked around in this way. Um, I know it's timed out for employment disputes. There's a time window for that. But, you know, it it, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Yeah, look, I think if you look at it in light of all of the things that are going on, there is definitely a... Uh, you know, New Zealand keeps popping up in, in in the media all the time on various uh, various things, and it's yet just another one of of those things. I was interviewed on um, a English show the other day, and they were so fascinated just to talk about the New Zealand experience and what they had seen in the media and how hard our lockdowns are and how hard every they went and all the decisions that they made and you know how is our little country doing uh, since then and I was like well fortunately some of the legal principles that I thought should have uh, seen these things not happen are now being upheld and uh, we didn't yet have the NZDF case but um, I said that there's a couple of court of appeal decisions we are waiting on they've been outstanding now for well over six seven months uh, and so we've also got, you know, the NZ Teachers case, which will be interesting to see where that comes, um, and that's a Court of Appeal decision too. So I think there's much to see here. What what I guess I find disappointing is that this is, what, two, two and a half, three years on uh, for these Defence Force people who, uh, you know, they have the honour of New Zealand and, and, and want to uh, represent and, and defend New Zealand, and yet... They've had to uh, defend themselves um, through this entire period. And, you know, that just has to shake core, uh, you know, the, 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 those type of people that have such a um, passion and a uh, passion for their country. Like it just it really undermines your belief in your country when you're there to defend it, put your life on the line, and then uh, this is how you get treated. I spoke earlier before uh, we have started Legal Hub this morning to Ashley Feckney, who's an employment law advocate, oh, and yeah. she was telling us about 
one of the cases she was involved in, that was um, Knight versus Comart Consulting, which was a win for her. People who are listening know how that um, came about, and you can listen to the replay, so I don't want to explain it all again. But she made an interesting point, and she said the settlements or the findings that are coming out in these or out in these sort of cases, um, if you've managed to get them in the time window, and many people have missed that, are not about a fundamental breach of your rights, but it's all around procedural Correct. errors. So we haven't quite got to the elephant in the room bit yet, it seems to me. Yeah, so the way employment works is is that um, you've often, you, you know, for unjustified dismissals, you can have an unjustified dismissal if the process has not been correctly applied, and that's invariably where employee employers get it wrong, um, even though their HR departments are often versed in these. They're dealing with humans and emotions, and they often get the procedure wrong. In all of the cases um, of the Court of of the employment cases around mandates is because the procedure's been wrong. Procedure is wrong with the golf course, I think, for the recent trucker. Uh, yeah. But they won't, that means that they don't have to deal with whether or not the decision was right or wrong. Um, so, but if the decision was wrong, that could also lead to an unjustified uh, dismissal uh, claim as well. The issue is, is that they changed the Employment Act. There was such huge pressure by the government on employers to insist that their employees, to capture the last lot, I guess, to insist on vaccines um, and insisted that employers put these into their policies. And what they did is they really made the job easy for employers to uh, justify the need to vaccinate so that the employers didn't really have to go through a proper risk-benefit analysis. None of the employers had to engage with the science. None of the employers had to engage with the genuine concerns of people uh, and um, I don't think we're going to see many cases uh, about the validity of the mandates. And again, this Defence Force case is, is similar in that there is not enough evidence that has been put on by the Defence Force to justify their need to maintain the vaccine requirement. So um, there's a slightly different because they've got the operative uh, requirements around the Defence Force uh, legislation, and that's why that became a judicial review. Right, yeah. Wow. Okay, moving on. Mm. Julian Assange. Yeah, goodness gracious. Um, where, do you, I find... where do you start on that? Because I'm, a, I'm just a simple guy on the street. Okay, so he's a journalist. He, he acquires information, publishes it so far. Nothing out of the normal there. He does it uh, with data, um, but not in the jurisdiction of, of the United States. Um, yet he's been held in a high-security prison, well, seven years in an embassy, high-security prison, Belmarsh, for God knows how long now. Um, it doesn't sound good on his health. It, it just sounds like somebody somewhere is trying to smash this man to pieces. No, none of this legally, procedurally makes any sense, does it? It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And the very person who committed the espionage, um, if this is the act that's being. Um, uh, this is the act that they're going to take the action under when. Which if, is the nineteen seventeen act. It's like a really old act. Prior isn't it? to prior to yeah, at the time of World War One. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. pretty incredible. So, context for this is is and it's always blown my mind. 
how you know a journalist is there to do their job. They're essentially you know checks and balances on government. If they if if media and journalism are doing the right thing, uh, then they are questioning government. They're keeping government on a, a narrow track. This is information that uh, Julian Assange received. He received it from what you could argue is a whistleblower, um, but received this information. The person who actually committed the act uh, has you know, since been pardoned. Chelsea Manning, yep. Chelsea Manning, she had quite a bit of information on war crimes, torture, you know, torture is never justified. What was that Iranian prison where they were torturing? I think he exposed that, didn't he? Or she? Uh, look, uh, I don't know. Assassinations, yeah. prisoners mm. at Guantanamo. Yeah. Uh, look, we're dealing with a country that was the ones that were trying to tell us that there were weapons of mass um, destruction. There's some real questions over um, the behaviour and conduct that was being uh, that was being carried out at Guantanamo. That's why it was in Guantanamo, because so it wasn't on US soil. This information was released. It was provided to Julian. I don't even think he published all of it. I think, and I think part of it was that he was threatening to publish it um, and publish a, a bit more. Didn't end up publishing it. Got himself into an awful lot of hot water. Uh, Chelsea's since been pardoned by Obama and released after seven years, and you'd think that that's her chance of getting access to anything again to be able to uh, conduct similar behaviour. But look, you know, it didn't happen on, on US soil. The um, uh, media was published in the UK, albeit jurisdictionally, no doubt it was sent everybody and everyone received it uh, if they so went looking for it. But the US government is uh, wanting to uh, bring him out from um, or extradite him from the UK to the US where they can charge him and, you know, I, I dare say whatever else. Um, he'll have to go through the action uh, in the US. So it, it's what, been 14 years? Yeah, something like that. Um, yep. And my concern is what it does for free speech. And, you know, this is all wound up in a lot of things. The First Amendment is free speech. Yeah. He's going to be going to the US uh, and, and and charged with things under the espionage legislation. <clears throat> I just, there's something else going on. Well, Abu Ghraib is the, um, Grave is the, the prison I was thinking of. Well, there must be something going on. There's Seth Rich. And those leaked, um, that leaked data from the Democrat Party's server, right, which had the pedestrian emails and the Clinton emails, and that was all around the time of that election. So, mm. um, so I guess there could be that. But um, you know, Pompeo, the head of the CIA under Trump, I think he was quoted as saying, "We should take him out. You know, we should assassinate him." So, oh, what's this guy got? He must have something that is so delicate or problematic that you you sort of go to this these lengths. Yeah, and look, that just seems the the inconsistency to pardon the person who was the person that obtained the material in the first place after seven years, but to still you know tooth and dagger go after. So it can't be that the information. It can't be that information. It doesn't logically make sense. Like the point you've just made, the guy who actually leaked it 
is walking free. The guy who published it isn't. It can't. <clears throat> it can't be that. It's so strange. And you know, where is Australia in all of this? When before Albanese was voted in, he talked about getting Assange back. And you know, now that as um, Albanese's in office, what's he done? Uh, to get Assange home. And, you know, it's been 14 years. He's lived his life, you know, effectively in prison. Um, and it just, it's just, I, I I don't know. It just smells funny. Yeah. That um, American Chilean journalist who died in, in Ukraine, that tells you where these people are coming from. Gonzalo Lira, I think his name was. Oh, I don't know Lira. about that, Paul. Okay, well, he 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 was left. He died in the Ukrainian prison, and he'd been asking for help. The State Department never helped him. They let him die. These are the people we're dealing with. He was a journalist, so I don't care about Julian Assange's life, except that it might look really bad if enough people see what's going on here. That oh, I think everybody thinks whatever the situation is, there's something not quite square. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've got a sinking feeling, <laughs> mm. but, but I always tend to start with that, and I'm happy. I'm happy to be, you know, corrected. But what about you? My gut instinct says it's not looking good. Right. Yeah. Uh, but he is in the UK. The UK does have access to the International Human Rights um, Court. There could be steps there. Uh, Assange's asked to be heard um, at the hearing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I look, I, I, I hope, I hope that I'm just being pessimist and that a much better outcome will happen. Because even, even if the worst happens, he'll only be a martyr anyway. Won't he? Yeah, look, I haven't taken my steps, the, the, everything through to the natural conclusions of what happens if he gets to extradited to the States. Yeah. I'm still very much at the process of the UK and whether, yeah. what other options it. he has. Yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's terrible. Journalists, I hope you're listening. Okay. Well, to, we need journalists to stand up. This well, is, who's been standing up? I haven't seen any big pieces. Reality Check Radio. No, I know, but... you. Honestly, that's one of the biggest stories on the planet. Mm. Where is yeah. it? There's a lot about Taylor Swift. All right. Um, let's move on to the terms of reference. <laughs> How's that shaping up? Oh, good, I think. Um, look, I think in the first instance, uh, we've got the really unusual situation where We've had a, um, a royal commission established under the former government with limited terms, including some restrictions on things that they're even allowed to cover. Um, I don't think I've ever been in a royal commission. I've done a few now where there's actually a, a limited scope or wow. a limit. <laughs> like, it's unusual. Sort of the opposite of usually what it, what it means. Yeah, and um, really unusual that there's no judge um, involved. And the commissioners, ordinarily, we'd have someone from the judiciary, formerly, uh, formerly from the judiciary. So reverse engineer that. Why would that be? Well, for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, they're able to uh, assist the court 
um, or, or the other commissioners, it's not a court, sorry, the other commissioners to produce a report. They're able to assess um, and assist with the weight of evidence because one person's evidence, you know, if you've got two contradicting experts, you need to be able to weigh them up. You need to then be able to rationalise that and then put that into writing. And that's what, you know, judges do their entire career. So uh, it's unusual in my experience not to have someone from the judiciary as a commissioner. Uh, and they didn't in this case. Um, it's certainly fine to have subject matter experts uh, in the form of, you know, someone from the economics department, um, the epidemiologist, you know, that seems fair enough because there's the medical aspects to these things. Um, but uh, the whole situation with the commissioners uh, is... It, it's a disaster. Um, the fact that one's left prior to, um, uh, well, she left, what was that, 10 months before the report was due. Uh, the fact that they've heard um, so much evidence to date, we don't know what that evidence is. They've left, listed some of the people, things have been happening behind closed doors. They've reviewed 95,000 documents or 95,000 pages of documents. I can't find a list of what those documents are. Yeah, what are they? Come on, what are they? 95,000, well, that's a few. It is. It's an awful lot. Who gave them to them? What's the scope it's, of them? What's the you, subject they matter? They can't read, possibly read that uh, two guys. No, look, well, or, or it was three at the time they were given this information. Uh, my view is is that the all of the commissions need to go. They need to start again. Um, and even though they're insisting on expanding the Royal Commission, it really needs to be a, a start fresh because... Okay, that's quite... That's a bit of a stunner. You start saying that someone's actually saying that. So uh, you, you you say that you know that is that widely known now? Is that what people are saying? We've got to uh, oh, I, well, to that, reset that, it, like you've just said. That's not. That, that's just my view. Um, yeah. I don't know if anyone else has got that view. Okay, I just wonder if people are starting to think that that, that should be. Well, if you are. Well, no, I think that that's what naturally needs to happen in the context mm. of where we're at now. Mm. Um, that all of this evidence has been heard. It's been heard behind closed doors. We've got two commissioners, not three. It's kind of like no judge. they're, they're limping to the end. Um, if they're going to do this properly, um, and I think that we've got two parties that certainly want to see it done properly, they're going mm. to have to insist on new commissioners. They're going to have to insist on new council assist, which are the lawyers that assist the, uh, the commissioners to hear the evidence, um, ask the questions, and then the commissioners come in and ask any extra questions over the top uh, that they haven't felt have been answered or they're particularly interested in. Uh, and it needs to be open. Um, so to do any of that, I think they really, really do need to start again and, and you know, to give comfort to a lot of New Zealanders. And this affected everybody. I think we need to yeah. have... We need to have a start again, even if we have to do it in, in inside the current Royal Commission. What if we don't start again? Is is this just, um, what is it if we don't start again? Well, I think it's a farce. <laughs> if we don't start again, I think it's a farce, and I think it's just going to be an exercise in futility. That's not going to get anyone any, take anyone anywhere. It won't get anything. It just keeps... Frustration under pressure, doesn't it? Building pressure by not addressing it straight up. Oh, I think it's I think it's hugely problematic. It's uh, a real that's dumb why thing. they well, they've painted themselves into a corner. 
if you want this to be done properly, you're insisting it to be done in the current Royal Commission because you've got some view that it's inappropriate to blow up the last one. Um, you know, this is how you, how you create a, a new, uh, well, essentially a new Royal Commission inside the gamut of the old one. Yeah, okay. What are the chances of that, do you think? I, I think with a lot of public pressure, um, I think that that's, um, you know, uh, possible. Uh, and we've got the opportunity to give feedback on the terms of reference. I think in giving your feedback on the terms of reference, uh, you know, insist that this needs to have new commissioners. If you've got ideas about who might be suitable commissioners, uh, you know, I think NZ First was suggesting someone international. Um, I definitely think a judge needs to be there. Um, yeah, of course. It's, uh, that's common sense. Because if you're not going to judge there, there's no one to to, to crystallise the whole thing around, you know, keeping or corral. A, yeah. yeah, yeah, and keeping an overview and keeping it tight, you know, hmm. yeah. <laughs> Unless you don't want it like that. And look, we just don't know what the evidence that has been heard to date. Yeah, yeah, right. Ninety-five thousand pages. And and you know, hundreds of people have been spoken to. If you have a look at the page on the Royal Commission site, over you know the last. But, but you don't know who, right? No, just generally groups um, are named. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, you don't know what their evidence is, um, or I haven't been able to see what their evidence is. There's no ability to put on responsive evidence or contradict. It's just this affected every single one of us. We have a right to hear and be heard. Brick and A. Yeah. Well said. All right. Anything more to apart from keep the pressure on? Anything more to say about that? Please. Pop over to the term uh, to the Royal Commission uh, website when you can. Uh, pop in your own terms of reference um, that you want to see answered. They are also asking for your story, so pop down, uh, write down what your story is of COVID. My process that I've been adopting for going about this, and we've got until the twenty fourth of March. No one's going to get a prize getting it in earlier. I, I've sat down. I've started writing my experience of of the COVID health response. And then I'm just making sure that the questions um, that I need answered from my story are going to be asked. And we've also um, popped some uh, terms of reference, which uh, has been drafted, uh, onto our um, webpage. And you can just go and use those if any of them um, answer the, or ask the questions that you would want to know the answers of. They're already there drafted. Uh, that's a task that I've done off the back of uh, work that we've done in Australia that should which has been really well received. Uh, so you don't need to um, get stressed out about, you know, drafting a terms of reference. But, you know, starting from what your statement is, what you'd like to see answered, and um, then making sure that you let the commission know because it is necessary to give public feedback and now's our opportunity to do so. So those terms of reference are easily accessible. You can just jump on at www.covidinquiry.co.nz. That is www.covidinquiry.co.nz. That's www.covidinquiry.co.nz. Uh, and there is a whole lot of terms of reference there to assist you to answer um or to assist you, or to at least get you thinking about what terms you might yeah. want asked. Because there's a limited number of characters allowed too, right? Which means that it sort of truncates anything, you know, like um, you know, chapter one, two, three, four. I mean, you need to keep it yeah. in, in that. So the 
it, it's a, it's a feedback system. It's on a website. Um, yeah. I, I actually probably wouldn't be doing it in the website. Um, prepare it in a, a Word document. Can you attach it? Can you? Uh, you can send it. I think you can send it as an email. Um, and okay. That's, All right. Yeah. From, from my perspective, that's much better. You can it's, keep yeah, totally. the numbering format on. Um, as soon as you copy and paste it and drop it into those document uh, into those uh, character entry sections, all of the formatting that you had goes out and it just looks. Yeah, horrendous. so forget about that if you've got anything substantial Correct. to say. Yeah, but the, also the system is um, machine learning too, so it's going to it's going to review the information electronically, not necessarily by a human. So I've just sent an OIA. Oh, and okay. I think yesterday, you <laughs> yeah. know, inquiring as to how that system's going to work because, you know, I want, if I want to be heard, I don't want it to be summarised by chat GPT. Yeah, like, must apply empathy to level five on this one. <laughs> or, you know, deletes, you know, there's some sort of thing or there's an algorithm that set that, it, you know, blocks certain certain things. I mean, yeah, or, surely yeah. there's going to be some things that certain should areas. naturally be blocked, but... You know, oh, it might dear. be subject matters that they don't want to hear about, and then how do we know if that's going to be? A what system? it should be is like I've mentioned it before, like we had when the '84 Labor government came in and they were about to unleash all these massive economic changes, which they didn't campaign on to the public, right? And what they did is they, for a whole week, they used the debating chamber in Parliament for this publicly televised event every day for I think the whole week where everyone who had a stake in the economy, all the unions, the business round table, anyone interested had a seat and they could get up and have a say. And the leadership, you know, the prime minister, Roger Douglas, all that there. And it was, you know, it was on TV. Now, okay, it's a PR exercise in a way. And the changes that were coming were massive. So I guess they could say, well, we debated it. But the thing is, it was in your face. You could see what was happening, what was being said, <clears throat> and then what came out of it. I think we need something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it almost sounds like a telethon. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> not so much that, it, you know, because the point you made before, this this affected everyone. Yeah. And it's got to be seen to be dealt with, seen to be, you know? Yeah, definitely. And Call me so, look, and that's why it should be uh, open court, televised uh, yeah. or streamed. Uh, certainly in Australia, they stream all the court cases unless they are um, particularly sensitive. Uh, it needs to be streamed. We need to be seeing the hearings live. Cross-examinations. Cross-examinations. The Royal Commission needs to be able to have power to call people. Um, I yeah. think that, the power, that they should have the power to be able to make findings, not just necessarily recommendations. Yeah. And yeah. in respect of people that have suffered injuries and things and where ACC has been properly responding or has been making people's lives more difficult, uh, you know, there needs to be the ability for the commission to come down and actually see some recompense returned to people's lives. And you want to hear ACC forever. explaining why that wasn't right. Absolutely. Tell us why. We want to know. There's so much, and it covers so many areas, but that's why it's so important that this is yep. done properly. Yep. Okay, and another thing that we're watching closely, WHO pandemic treaty, oh, and we've been be asking for feedback on that. How's <laughs> that been going? Oh, great guns. I have heard so many people that have put in their submissions um, or feedback 
uh, people put in lots and lots of feedback on their concerns about the international health regulation amendments uh, and the pandemic uh, treaty. Now, if you didn't get uh, or you only got a chance to do the feedback on the international health regulation amendments, uh, that was due and closed on the 18th of February, which was Sunday. Yeah. Uh, but have no fear, the pandemic agreement opportunity to give feedback is still open. Um, there is no actual closing date for that. So uh, head along uh, to www.boohoo.co.nz. That's www.boohoo nz, and then down on the bottom right hand side you'll see a section which says providing pandemic uh, agreement feedback now the crazy thing that's happened since uh, this is we've got a whole lot of new amendments that have come out since um, they even oh, started what are we up this to process now? how many new ones well I think that they're still calling this pandemic treaty uh, an agreement to agree, but that's because they just keep watering it down, watering it down, watering it down, because a whole lot of people are getting a bit upset about things and, uh, you know, they want to really dispel a lot of this mis and disinformation that's being shared around. So actually, interestingly enough, uh, this time they mentioned gain-of-function research, and we're going to be so lucky because the WHO is going to have the control and responsibility for regulating that. No. Oh. It's interesting. So we've got this crazy situation. We had it last with the International Health Regulations Amendments being asked to give feedback on amendments that were out of date when Australia, when New Zealand yeah, certainly uh, by has... Two, two, two um, changes out of date or something. Oh, way more. Like oh, six okay. meetings and a scathing review committee report out of date. Okay. Um, and Even worse. Yeah, and now we've got the um, – so, yeah, giving feedback, but New Zealand's actually got copies of later versions, but they still want us to give feedback on the original version, so go figure. Uh, and then we've got now a situation at the time that they're requesting feedback on the pandemic treaty. We've now got new versions of the pandemic treaty uh, coming out during that process. So it's you don't know if you're Arthur or Martha or, you know, for your, your – Bump from your elbow. So the, all these changes are they because that's reacting to the the narrative battle that's going on between you know what they want and and what people are waking up to and and pushing back against, or do they just keep on dynamically sharpening up their toolbox? So I mean, what's driving them in all these changes? Do you think? Well, they've got a lot of pressure. So they've got a lot of pressure from the African nations who right. are getting a bit um, snotty because they're not getting everything that they were promised. Um, this is like um, a share of the of the business model for this. Is that is that the complaint? No, I think the poorer nations of Africa were promised, you know, upgrading of healthcare systems, free access to pharmaceutical products, uh, and a lot of money. Um, yeah. And under the pandemic agreement, the various versions, that's not happening. They're not being listened to. Uh, and, you know, they're getting a, a bit terse. You've separately got this massive pressure from the states where pharmaceutical companies are really not prepared to give up their intellectual property and their ingredients uh, uh, recipe list uh, to African nations or anyone else for that matter. Because they uh, could start manufacturing them. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, that's why we saw Ivermectin, um, you know, 
not available and all of those off-label, uh, off-patent drugs uh, that anyone could make now. So it's yeah. no longer lucrative if you have to give away your recipe. Uh, and so, you know, we've got a situation where there's huge pressure from the pharmaceutical companies that don't want these agreements because they're getting underwritten. So what we've got is we've got a situation where the pandemic treaty is being diluted down to nothing. They've shoved everything into a conference of parties. You'll recall conference of parties is something that exists under the environmental um, protocols. And a conference of parties is uh, an absolute oxymoron in terms. It's essentially just a few bigwigs making decisions for the whole world and we have to all get in and comply uh, and and follow the rules. So essentially it's not even an agreement to agree. They're calling it a pandemic agreement now. I think it's gone through 17 different names at this stage uh, and essentially they're just going to have this very loose, fluffy terms of, you know, sovereignty won't be taken and all of these other things, but they'll just shove it all off to the conference of parties and the conference of parties will be making all of these significant decisions that will impact our lives in the world. So it's um, it's a really incredible situation. So you, I, I encourage everybody to jump over into uh, the pandemic treaty opportunity and give your feedback uh, because it's really important. Uh, this is the pandemic treaty that, you know, $30 billion that we're going to have to keep these massive machines operating for the year. That's the WHO and the UN and everything behind it just yeah. to be pandemic ready when the real risk of naturally occurring pandemics is incredibly low, incredibly low. So and why, I mean, I wish people would realize this, you know, um, when was the last, well, you can argue the one we've just had wasn't really a one. The last one was all was over a hundred years ago. It, they don't crop up much to have this level of, um, what would you call it? Paranoia, overreaction, overreach. It's it's clearly not all about. Well, it's the fear. That. It's it's a huge creation of fear because it's been very powerful and you know been very well driven. Uh, but you know, I implore everybody to go and have a look at David yeah. Bell's latest report that he's done, where the risk of naturally occurring pandemics. We we had him on before, just before. Oh, we good. Chatted and he told us we were talking about that piece that he has had published at the Brownstone Institute. And, oh, good. And, and talking about that. So if people were listening, they know exactly what you're talking about now. So. You guys are so onto it. <laughs> Look, that's the kind of things the um, public servants that are pushing these things along and, you know, with much gusto have no clue about the risk of uh, naturally occurring pandemic. No, they, they just, just get told that it's huge. If someone, yeah, if someone tells them it's true. Yeah. And but all you got to do is, well, wait on, when did I last have... Oh, I, not in my lifetime. Oh, okay. Well, wait on. That's not right. <laughs> it's yeah, not that every, hard. Every opening you get, you, there is going to be another pandemic in our lifetime. Well, probably not if uh, Tedros isn't the head of the WHO and WHO doesn't get to have all of these new powers that our governments will be giving and them labs under these And labs searching for pathogens and who knows what with the, um, you know, enhancing them, gain of function. Um it's only a worry if if they're non-natural, right? That's <laughs> and that's what, what his report is very clear to outline. Um, yeah. And you know, I think uh, there's been some great studies out there that clearly show that the increase in voluntary contributions that are paid to the WHO has seen a lockstep increase in the number of pandemics that have been declared. Yeah. And we just really need to have these guys stop mucking with it. All right, boy, um, plenty always to talk about on Legal Hub.
Thanks, Katie, for coming on again. No trouble, and thank you so much for having me, and everyone have a good morning. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.